Are you curious about what it's like working in healthcare today? Do you believe in the power of storytelling? I'm Dr. Emily Silverman, the host of the Nocturnist podcast, where healthcare workers share personal stories of joy, sorrow, and self-discovery. Each episode, whether a compelling performance from one of our live shows, an intimate series of audio diaries from one of our documentaries, or an engaging conversation with guests such as book authors or filmmakers, aims to connect, provoke, and inspire. Learn more at thenocturnist.com or subscribe to The Nocturnist wherever you get your podcasts. This week, in the long shadow of the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the Supreme Court begins a new term. Oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay. One of the first cases, though, here reads like a jambalaya of healthcare jargon. PBM preemption provision, all-payer claims databases, PCMA, ERISA, third-party administrators, self-funded employee benefit plans. And while the future of the Affordable Care Act will not come up, this case could kneecap states' powers to regulate everything from surprise bills to prescription drugs. All of these state laws hang in the balance and depend on how the Supreme Court rules in this case. Today, we're on the case. From the Annenberg Studio at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. There are few people who follow the corner of healthcare where insurance, employer, and state laws meet as closely as Aaron Fusay Brown. I'm an associate professor of law and the director of the Center for Law, Health, and Society at Georgia State University. And to her, when she thinks about this case, it's like a wonky welterweight fight. Ladies and gentlemen, the main event in one corner from Little Rock, Leslie Rutledge. That's the Attorney General of Arkansas. And in the other corner from right here in Washington, D.C., the Pharmaceutical Care Management Association. The trade group that represents pharmacy benefit managers. Oh, yay! The court is now sitting! In a few minutes, we'll explain why someone like Aaron thinks of this case like it's some championship clash. But first, it helps to know what this case is about on its face, which is not nearly so grand. So the issue in the Rutledge case is whether states, in this case Arkansas, can regulate entities called pharmacy benefit managers. A quick note on pharmacy benefit managers, what lots of people call PBMs. They specialize in wheeling and dealing up and down the prescription drug supply chain. Their goal, get the best price for their clients, often large employers, and take a cut for themselves too. One of the ways the PBM makes money is by pinching everyone else in the supply chain, including pharmacies. And that was what was happening in Arkansas. Now, from Arkansas's News and Information Center... Brent Bradley said the profit-sucking middlemen are forcing Bradley's HealthMart pharmacy to close after nearly two decades. PBMs have squeezed mom-and-pop pharmacies like this one, paying them less to dispense some drugs than they had to pay to acquire them, forcing the pharmacies into the red. Yeah, I'm going to miss the everyday patient relationships that I've had over the last 25 years. 
so several years ago, Arkansas legislators started taking a look at what losing these pharmacies might mean for competition and ultimately consumers. Bradley merged with Walgreens last week. Many independent pharmacists say PBMs have taken all the potential profits and then some. By 2015. This is Senate Bill 688. It deals with the PBMs and their pricing. Some legislators had seen enough. Arkansas in this case passed a law to protect these independent pharmacies that requires PBMs to pay pharmacies enough to cover the pharmacy's cost of acquiring a generic drug. The PBMs liked the law so much, they decided to take Arkansas to court, relying on an obscure law originally designed to regulate pensions. The Pharmacy Benefit Manager Trade Association is arguing that this federal law called ERISA preempts or blocks the state from having the power to regulate the PBM in this way. After the break, we'll get into ERISA and how it has thwarted dozens of efforts to rein in healthcare spending over the last 50 years. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Are you curious about what it's like working in healthcare today? Do you believe in the power of storytelling? I'm Dr. Emily Silverman, the host of the Nocturnist podcast, where healthcare workers share personal stories of joy, sorrow, and self-discovery. Each episode, whether a compelling performance from one of our live shows, an intimate series of audio diaries from one of our documentaries, or an engaging conversation with guests such as book authors or filmmakers, aims to connect, provoke, and inspire. Learn more at thenocturnist.com or subscribe to The Nocturnist wherever you get your podcasts. So before the break, Aaron, you told us that this case really comes down to this federal law, ERISA, and whether it prevents states from regulating PBMs and other insurance issues too. Can you first help us understand what this law even is? So ERISA stands for the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, and it was passed in 1974, true to its name, to mainly regulate and protect employee retirement plans, like pensions. Private pensions, whose vulnerabilities NBC exposed in a 1972 investigation often credited with motivating lawmakers to pass ERISA. We figured that if we put in there 20 or 25 years, when we retired, we would get a pension. But no, because they got cheated, they still have to work. The pension system is essentially a consumer fraud, a shell game, and a hoax. There is little or no evidence that Congress was even thinking about employer-based health coverage when it passed ERISA. It was never meant to be a law about health care coverage, but that's what it has become. The trouble, says Aaron, began when Congress wrote ERISA to cover not just pensions, but all so-called employee welfare benefits, even health coverage, including for employers who offer the coverage themselves through what's known as a self-funded plan. 
But about a decade after ERISA was passed, the Supreme Court interpreted one sort of ambiguous provision of the law to exempt all of these self-funded plans from state regulation. And when the court interpreted this clause to exempt self-funded plans from state regulation, the court essentially created a loophole. But why is this loophole actually become such a big problem, Aaron? It created an incentive for large employers to self-insure, to escape state regulation. So even though, you know, very few of these employers in the 1970s self-funded, 60% of people today have employer-based coverage that is self-funded. And now that may sound like a technical matter, but this means that, you know, almost a third of the U.S. population is virtually untouchable and unprotectable by state health care regulation. To be fair here, private employers, especially big ones, say they like self-funded plans for other reasons, lower costs, more control. And when it comes to ERISA, large employers also argue it's not a loophole, but vital protection against the messy and expensive burden of having to comply with 50 different sets of regulations. It's that exact protection that PBMs are claiming in this Rutledge case that they too deserve because they help administer these self-funded plans. All right, Aaron, so let's look ahead to what could happen in this Rutledge case. What do you think is really at stake here if the Supreme Court sides against Arkansas? So I think one of the immediate impacts is that the nearly 40 states that have passed some sort of PBM regulation in the last few years, all of those states are going to see immediate legal challenges to those laws. And I think that there is also a broader impact. It does provide a bit of a chilling effect for states to innovate and move forward in in all other areas of healthcare regulation. You know, if a state wants to do other types of reform, like surprise medical billing or price transparency or even single payer uh, health reforms. You know, the states will have a very narrow path to walk if the Supreme Court continues to read ERISA preemption very, very broadly. So it seems like given recent rulings, including a 2016 Supreme Court ERISA decision against the state of Vermont, that states could kind of be on the ropes here Do you think this Arkansas case actually represents a knockout punch? I'm hopeful that it won't be, but it certainly could be the knockout punch for state health care regulation, particularly following the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Of course, it's hard to predict exactly which way the case will go, but Justice Ginsburg wrote the lone dissent in the 2016 ERISA case and was willing to apply a nuanced analysis of ERISA. The Rutledge case, you know, will be heard by an eight-member court. So it could be a split decision. And if there is no majority, then the Eighth Circuit's holding, which was that ERISA preempts Arkansas's PBM regulation, will stand. There is still a chance that states could get up off the mat, even if they lose big. In its nearly 50 years of existence, every time ERISA's legal gray areas seem to be settled, the law ends up back in court. That's why lawyers and law students and even Supreme Court justices hate ERISA, uh, because it's so difficult to apply. It's like putting, you know, a fence around a cloud. It sounds like there's a remote chance in your mind that Arkansas will win this case. If it does, what would the impact of that be? So I think if the court sides with Arkansas, 
I think a lot of states will breathe a sigh of relief because they can continue to implement all of these laws that they've put in place um, and other reforms aimed at reining in healthcare costs. But it really won't put the issue of ERISA preemption entirely to bed. At best, it would just provide one more narrow path forward for states to move. But the court cases go back and forth over the years, opening and then narrowing the paths for states' health regulations. So it's not like they can get the ERISA monkey off their back. What do you think it would actually take to get that monkey off their backs once and for all? And do you think that's likely to happen? So I think ERISA needs to be fundamentally revised. ERISA was never meant to be a healthcare law, and yet it has become one. But it's almost like an anti-healthcare law. It blocks state regulation, but it doesn't replace it with any meaningful federal standards. But the states can't do this on their own, and the courts can't even do this for Congress. Congress is the only one who has the power to change the way ERISA is written. But it, do I think that's likely to happen? It's, it's highly unlikely to happen at this point. Karen, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us on Tradeoffs. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. For years, we've been hearing about rural hospitals closing down in communities around the country. Rural America, on a whole, is poorer, sicker, and older than urban America. So when you go into these communities, what you see is people whose lives are affected daily by chronic health issues. We explore those issues through the eyes of one Kansas town dealing with the closure of its only hospital. Next time on Tradeoffs. If you enjoyed today's episode of Tradeoffs, keep in touch with us between episodes by signing up for our newsletter. Click on the link in the show notes or on the big orange button at the top of our website, tradeoffs.org. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at TradeoffsPod. And we'd be grateful if you gave us a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. It helps other listeners like yourself find us. The Tradeoffs team is producers Ryan Levy and Vicki Stern, intern Sabrina Ems, communication and marketing manager Emily Patterson, researcher Jamie Song, partnerships lead Jessica Silverman, sound designer Andrew Perella, and editor Leslie Walker. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from CC Mixter and Blue Dot Sessions. Additional thanks to Phyllis Borzy, Kristen Link-Young, Jill Horwitz, Carmel Shakar, and THV 11 News, Little Rock. Tradeoffs is supported in part by the California Healthcare Foundation, Arnold Ventures, and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Additional support from the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics and the Center for Public Health Initiatives at the University of Pennsylvania. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of Tradeoffs staff, advisors, or funders. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.